Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, Cry out, and I said, What shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. We're going to look uh, this evening at this passage from Isaiah 40. You might want to have it open in front of you. Uh, grab your Bible, open your app if you've got a Bible app, if you will need one of these. It's on page uh, 725 in the middle of the Bible, Isaiah 40, 1 to 11. Up until uh, the end of chapter 39 of the book of Isaiah, uh, God has been saying uh, a lot of things about judgment, calling people to repentance, uh, the people of Israel to repentance. And it feels like the first 39 uh, chapters of the book of Isaiah um, have a certain tone to them. And by the time you get to Isaiah chapter 40, the tone suddenly changes. Uh, by this stage of Isaiah's ministry, the people of Israel have been taken into exile. They've been taken away from their place in Israel and have been taken uh, to Babylon, many, many hundreds of miles away. Uh, they're away from their way of life and their way of worship. Uh, they're, they're being ruled by foreign powers. Somebody else is in charge of Israel, their own place. And God's people here in Israel probably feel a lot like those people in that picture there. They're desperate. They're longing to return back to their land. They're living in fear and desolation and hopelessness. And as we look back now at these ancient words from Isaiah 40, it's not difficult for us today to find some relevance and some uh, resonance with the world that we live in today. The people of Israel are in exile, they're away from their place. There are people in turmoil, they're in discomfort, they're in a wilderness. One commentator said this, For many of us today, exile is not so much about geography, not so much about the geography around us, but the landscape within us. Exile is not so much the geography around us, but the landscape within us. It's not necessarily that we ourselves have been taken to a new land, even though some of us might have been, but we can still feel those same feelings of that people in exile. I wonder if you might describe yourself as being in a place of wilderness 
or exile. Your life might feel a little bit in turmoil or it might feel uh, that God is far away from you for some reason or another. It might feel that you're in a place where the mountains feel very high around you, almost in an overwhelming sort of way. And the valleys that you're in are so very low, it's hard to see a way out. And the ground that you're walking on might feel really uneven around you. And it might just feel that you're banging into stones and stumbling over rocks time and time again. Whether that's true for you personally or not, I suspect that many of us can resonate with the feeling of hopelessness when we see the world that we live in today. We can just feel overwhelmed, can't we, by the desperation of the world that we live in. Especially at, at, at this time of year. Maybe you've been walking around Edinburgh this weekend uh, and we walk around town and we're faced with the stark reality of social division, of relationship breakdowns, of housing and benefits and mental health policy as we pass one homeless person sat on the street after another. When you hear that the Bethany Night Shelter this winter will house 700 people, will give 700 people a bed for the night. Or when you discover, like I did last week, uh, that there are 7,000 children in Edinburgh whose parents are battling drug or alcohol addiction. Or when we see appeals on TV or on our social media feed by one charity after another asking for help. Or when we see far-right groups uh, being given a platform by the President of the United States of America. Or we see peace hanging in a balance between North Korea and America. Things can feel pretty dark and pretty hopeless. The world can feel like it's in a place of exile, far from the place that it's meant to be in. And the people of Israel have found themselves in this place of exile, far from the place that they were meant to be in. And like many of the situations that we're facing in our lives and in this world in 2017, it's actually a lot of Israel's own sinful choices which has taken them to this place of exile, of wilderness. But despite the hopelessness, there is always hope. Despite the hopelessness, there's always hope. Barack Obama uh, famously said this as part of his uh, victory speech in 2012. I've always believed that hope is that stubborn thing inside us that insists, despite all the evidence to the contrary, that something better awaits us so long as we have the courage to keep reaching, to keep working, to keep fighting. <coughs> For those of us who are feeling hopeless, for the Israelites that were trapped in exile in Babylon. The mountains are very high and the valleys are very low. And it must have felt like all was lost. It must have felt that God was far, far away. Maybe it feels now to you that God is far, far away. Does he realise the, the mess that this world is in? Why isn't he doing something about it? But it's into this place that God speaks. God speaks into loneliness. God speaks into despair, into separation, into the desolation, into hopelessness. God speaks. And this time he doesn't speak 
words of judgment, but he speaks words of comfort. Verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people. Into the hopelessness of this people's situation, God speaks good news, comfort. He speaks words of love and forgiveness. When they felt far, far away, God speaks uh, words where he calls his children home. Comfort, comfort my people, he says. And this word comfort in its sort of root form is actually a word that is all about strength. It's a strong, this word comfort, it's a strong and a powerful word. I remember in one of my most desperate and saddest moments of my life, I, I got a phone call one afternoon uh, when I was in my early 20s uh, to tell me that my stepdad had died really suddenly, uh, where my mum and my stepdad were on holiday in the south of France. And my mum was stuck there in the south of France uh, at where my stepdad had died. And I just felt in that moment, obviously, the desolation of his death, but the hopelessness of not being able to be with my mum at that time. And my friends who were with me there comforted me. They didn't just sort of pat me on the head and say, there, there, Libby, it'll be all right, don't worry. They took control of the situation. They made arrangements for me. They told me what to do, sit down, have a cup of tea, listen to me, we're gonna sort this out. They took control of the situation. They drove miles to be by my side. That was comfort. That was a strong and powerful comfort in that time. And people who are shattered, people who are hopeless, they don't want cheap platitudes. They want something real and they want something strong. They want comfort that's based on truth and that's based on reality. <coughs> comfort is only real comfort if it's demonstrated and it's lived out. And so as God continues to speak to Isaiah in, in Isaiah 40, he tells them what his comfort looks like in some incredible words of truth and hope. He tells them firstly, and we're going to look at these four things in a bit more detail. He tells them, you are my people. He tells them, you are forgiven. He reminds them that their situation will be transformed. And he tells them fourthly, to trust in my word. So firstly, he reminds them that they are God's people. Verse 1 says this, You are my people and I am your God. Despite being miles from home, despite getting yourself into this mess, despite being disobedient to me, you are mine and I am yours. You belong to me. I love you. In my uh, favourite parable, the parable of the prodigal son, uh, Jesus reminds us, that however we treat the Father God, even when we reject him, even when we deliberately wander away and throw mud back in his face, there is always hope because the Father is always ready to welcome home his wandering children with arms of love flung wide. And maybe you feel today that you've wandered far from God. If only people knew what was really going on, on inside me, you might be thinking. If people really knew what I have thought, or what I have done, or what I have seen, then that they would know there was no way back for me. Maybe you feel so deeply in exile, away from God, 
that it just feels like there's no way back. But remember how often the people of Israel turn their backs on God in pretty major ways, and yet he always brought them back. Remember the parable of the lost sheep? We were singing about it in that last song, Reckless Love, and how uh, the shepherd uh, went after the one who was lost, the one who had wandered away. He left the 99 and he went searching for that lost sheep. Remember how many people were crowding around Jesus one afternoon, and in that moment, he stopped and he knew that somebody had touched his cloak. Somebody who needed him so deeply and needed his healing touch so much. God says, even in your exile, even when you are far, far away from me, you are my people and I am your God. I love you and I will welcome you back to me. And then secondly, he reminds them that they are forgiven. He reminds them they are forgiven. Verse 2 says this, Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her, that her hard service has been completed and her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. He's saying to Israel, your debt has been paid. I have paid your debt. You are forgiven. You might know the name Thomas Edison. He worked on some crazy invention called a light bulb. And um, when he was first inventing light bulbs, it took a team of, of people 24 hours to construct each one of those first light bulbs. And as, as Edison and his team had finished one light bulb, he called over one day um, a young helper that they had in their workshop, and he gave this light bulb to this young boy. And he asked him to carry it upstairs to another room. And this boy carefully took this light bulb and step by step, he cautiously uh, watched his hand, fri hands frightened at dropping uh, this precious light bulb that had just been made, this piece of art in his hands. And as he got to the top of the stairs uh, of, uh, and, and was about to enter the room he had to go into, he stumbled over the top step and he dropped that precious light bulb. And as you can imagine, he was mortified. And it took the team of men another 24 hours to make another one of the light bulbs. And Edison at that moment uh, was tired, he was ready for a break, it had been a really full on few days. And he was ready to have the light bulb carried upstairs to the room. And he could have done it himself, but instead he called over the young boy who had carried that first light bulb and dropped that first light bulb up the stairs and he handed over the precious light bulb to him and said, would you carry that upstairs for me? Forgiveness, the sort of forgiveness that God offers to each one of us, makes it as though the sin that we've all committed had never happened. It's a generous, powerful, freeing forgiveness. Margaret Lasky, a well-known humanist and novelist, said this just before she died. What I envy most about you Christians is your forgiveness. I have nobody to forgive me. When Jesus died on that cross, he took the sin of the whole world, the sin of each one of us upon himself. Our sin was crucified on that cross with Jesus. 
so that you and I can know the forgiveness that God has for us, so that we can live our lives guilt-free as though it had never happened. We are loved that much. 1 John 1 verse 9 says this, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. What an incredible promise. What an incredible truth. Then thirdly, God says to the people of Israel, I will not leave you as you are. I won't leave you in the place that you are. I'm going to bring you home. Verses 3 to 5 say this. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up. Every mountain and hill will, will be made low. The rough ground shall become level. The rugged places are plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. God is saying, I will make a way. I will make uh, through the desert, through the turmoil of your life. I will make a straight path through that desert. A highway for our God. He's inviting everybody on in exile, everybody who's been separated from him. He's invited all of us who have sold out, who have made other things or other people more important than God in our lives. Those of us who have made money or possessions or our jobs or success or relationships or alcohol, their God. He's saying, those, those of you who have treated other people badly, those who are lost or are hopeless, those who are joy-filled. He said, all of you, come. Come and join me on the highway of our God. I love this image because it reminds me partly of the film Forrest Gump. Okay, that's what that is, just in case you're wondering. If you haven't seen it, if you're too young, it's absolutely classic. You've got to watch it. And this scene in Forrest Gump, uh, Forrest decides to run all over America. He just decided one day he was just going to run, and he does. And he becomes a bit of a cult hero, uh, so much so that loads of people start to join him on the highway that he's on, until eventually hundreds of people are running with him on a highway. And God says, come and join me. Come and run my way with me. All of you, all of you who are lost or broken, those who feel far away from me tonight, those of us whose lives are sorted, those who are joy-filled or in despair, Come and join me on my way. And as we walk this way together, God's saying, I won't leave you as you are. Come and walk with me and I will transform you and I will restore you. You see those valleys that you've been walking through, thinking, I'm never going to get out of this place because those sides of those valleys are just too high for me to climb. Well, those valleys, I'm going to raise up those valleys so that you can see what's beyond, so that you can see me. And you know, those of you who are walking uh, through mountains and through hills that you daily have to climb, that, that seem to be blocking your path around every turn, I'm going to smash down those mountains. And I'm going to make those hills low. And that rough ground that some of you are walking on, that feels like it's just there to trip you up every step of the way, it's taking all your energy, those boulders that are confronting you. I'm going I'm to make that ground level. And then he says, whoever you are, listen to this, verse 5. Then you will see the glory of the Lord. 
Then we will see the glory of the Lord. This is what I'm going to do, he's saying. Have hope. Join me on the way. And then lastly, God says in verse 7 and 8, take comfort because the word of God can be trusted and relied on. Listen to this, verses 7 and 8. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. The word of God endures forever. It can be trusted and relied on. Everything else, other people are like grass or flowers that wither or fall, but the word of God is reliable. It doesn't change, it lasts forever. The word of God is our comfort, it's our confidence, it's our never-changing hope in this ever-changing and hopeless world. The words of the Bible reflect the unchanging character of God. And yet so often, if we're honest, and I'm honest, it's the last place we go to. When we've exhausted ourselves and the wisdom of our family or our friends or Facebook or Google or Wikipedia, then, you know, we might just take a moment to sit down with our Bible and open it and see what God has to say to us. The word of God can be trusted and relied on. So God declares this timeless message through Isaiah to us tonight. Take comfort, have hope, because I am your God and you are mine. Take comfort and have hope because you are forgiven. Take comfort and have hope because I will not leave you as you are. Take comfort and have hope because you can trust in my word. And this is good news. And we're not meant to keep it to ourselves. It says in verse 9 that we should go out and shout it out to other people. This incredible message was good news to the people of Israel in exile. And it's a message of comfort and hope to us today. When God broke into time in the person of Jesus, the gospel writers used this passage, Isaiah chapter 40, to put into words what John the Baptist is going to do. He prepares the way of the Lord. He makes straight paths in the desert, a highway for our God. And through Jesus, the glory of God will be revealed. The good news of Jesus is the good news of Isaiah 40, shouted from the rooftops. And so this Advent, as we perhaps are confronted daily by the hopelessness and darkness of our lives or this world that we live in, we're reminded that we can't, can't pull ourselves out of hopelessness ourselves. But nevertheless, there is hope. And that hope is found in Jesus, our Saviour.